I, um, you know, this is the second time uh, in a week that I've had an introduction that kind of makes, uh, it's very humbling and very, uh, you know, the other one there was at New Room, by the way, and it kind of made me cry a little bit, which is not a good way to start a, 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 a you know, kind of a talk. <laughs> so, uh, but I do thank uh, Jessica for those very, very kind words, and uh, I just often find myself having to pinch myself that, well, one, I'm here. I, I'm very unlikely, honestly. I don't, I just find myself like in the oddest of places, but I don't feel like I have done anything to plan to be here. And I just, uh, oh, God has just amazingly worked in my life. I just want to testify to that, uh, that you just never know where God would take you. And, uh, that, uh, and this is actually, oddly enough, I think my fourth time, uh, I think, preaching at this, uh, at the, uh, in the seminary here at the, at the chapel. Now, you've got to indulge me. I don't know if that's normal. You might say, ah, people do a lot more than that, but I think it's kind of a little special, and it's special for me, and it's amazing because I do actually love this, this seminary. It's, uh, it is, a, I don't mind saying, my absolute favorite uh, seminary. Uh, you've managed to keep, as in our prayer time together and, and in that worship time, a wonderful warm heart and a very keen, sharp mind that is at work here. So it's just a very special connection. Uh, and I just, uh, I'm just grateful for you and grateful for the seminary and the witness that it brings uh, over these many years. So uh, uh, I think uh, Jesus and perhaps Jessica are going to make a full-blown Wesleyan out of me eventually. <laughs> I think it happens more every year. Uh, I'll sign on when I'm perfectly sanctified, which is a long way to go for me. But, but uh, so what I want to do today with that funny... Uh, title is to talk uh, around the issue of putting adventure back into the venture. Uh, to, to somehow what, learn again what it means to be uh, a people who can take risks and thrive in the context of uh, risk-taking, uh, as I think that our context uh, demands of us. Uh, I think it's something super important for community. Uh, for the whole notion of innovation and learning, uh, learning both in theology, but also learning generally and engaging and growing in life. Uh, leadership, uh, we, we, we're in a time now that requires a capacity to uh, take risks and lead God's people in a very difficult, com uh, complex time which we live in. Certainly discipleship, uh, which I think are all renewed by our engagement in adventure and risk. Um, now, um, I don't know if you, you would know this, it doesn't really matter, but much of my adult life I have uh, spent a lot of time trying to understand what makes for dynamic movements that change the world. Uh, study of which has obsessed me for a long time and resulted in a book called The Forgotten Ways. And uh, in that book, uh, prior to that, I mean, I, I pretty much tried to understand, let's say, early church, New Testament, of course, uh, the kind of the seeds of, of movement that are there in the beginning, the, uh, the beginning of the movement phase, but the early church particularly was of fascinating interest to me, and how they grew literally from 25,000 to upwards to 20 million people in 200 years, without all the stuff that we normally think we need to get the job done. Uh, the Celtic movement uh, was another incredible movement uh, of God. Uh, early Methodism. Uh, I was very tempted to kind of put my hand to that, but my history sucks, and uh, a lot of Better people have done a whole lot better work on Methodism than I could, so I, 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 I veered from that and went to one of the more current ones, the, the Chinese underground church movement. But I only say this because 
um, in, in, in trying to kind of get to grips with what that meant or what, what factors come together, uh, one of the factors is what I want to share with you today, this capacity to engage in risk and, and thrive in it. Uh, so, uh, 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 so this also resulted in a, another book. I'm a, uh, one of those people who is not an unpublished thought. Uh, and so uh, there's a book called The Faith of Leap, which I wrote with a, a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine called Michael Frost. Uh, who's a, a theologian, missiologist as well from Australia. So, uh, but in order to kind of name what I was seeing in movements like this, one of the factors was the kind of movement that they, the kind of community they were experiencing. Uh, it was hard to kind of name it because it was clearly different to the kinds of community that we get to experience, or at least myself, even though I've had some pretty good adventures. It's just different. And it, I had to get a name for it. Community didn't quite work. And uh, to do that, I discovered language that I found in an anthropologist called Victor Turner. Now, Victor Turner was a cultural anthropologist, and he spent part of his life uh, in Africa uh, studying uh, among the Indembu people, and he was very interested in the rites of passage, uh, of the rites that how which communities mature and grow. And he, was, uh, he particularly studied how, the, how young uh, people... Uh, uh, young men particularly in these societies, in tribes, uh, are evolved from being boys into being men. Uh, and I think it's very useful because it's some of the language he uses, but I'm going to just use a diagram here to kind of maybe show you uh, what, he, what he was studying and how we can learn from it. So he discovered this, that, um, that uh, if that was the, the... Is that coming up somewhere? It should do anyway. So in, in a tribe, uh, in, in an... Uh, in a tribal region there, I'd like to... Is it coming? I can explain otherwise, not, not happening. Okay, so in a tribe, what you'd find... Like in, and this is true of most of the, the contexts in Africa. You find that they, they, in, in, the, in the local village, there are two parts of the village. The one part uh, being where the men live and the one other part where the women live. Now, we uh, are reasonably sure that there must uh, have been... Uh, some sort of conjugal visits because they were kids, right? So, uh, so the kids were raised in the in the the female part of the tribe, and uh, and I think it's just the Apple TV or whatever it is, um, and um, and so they were raised in the female part of the, com the compound of the tribe. Uh, but at a certain time of the year, uh, every year they would have this ritual ceremony, which is a certain time which was set aside for this, where the young boys were rounded up by dads. The dads would come into the female compound and round up the boys, the 13-year-olds, right? And this was a ritual event. It was a very fraught event. Um, uh, uh, and you can understand this because as the, as the kids are raised in the female compound, uh, so over here in the female compound, the men go into the village and, uh, and then... Uh, so they go in there and then they round them up and they rough them up a little bit. Oddly enough, hi, Dad. You know, a bit of... You'll be kind of a bit jostled around a bit. And then, uh, uh, but they do this to disorient them. And then they, they take the boys out into the bush. Uh, now, this is African bush, by the way, so it's quite a tricky place. Just about every animal there could kind of do you in. Uh, and, uh, and, 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 of course, these are like 13-year-olds. So think about your 13-year-olds, right? You're, you're putting them out six months in the bush. Uh, and this uh, is an area what he calls liminality. Now, I like words, and it's a kind of cool word. A liminality is this idea of a threshold experience. 
Liminality is where you experience being marginalized. You were over here, uh, they were at the center of society, now they've been pushed to the edges. Uh, they were oriented, they knew their way around the village, now they have to, they're disoriented, they have no real way of working out what goes out in the bush. They really haven't got a lot of experience. They, they are uh, humiliated, because actually they circumcised, uh, that alone would be quite a challenge at, at, at that age too. Uh, and, uh, and then uh, they, uh, they, they are uh, in danger, they face what he calls an ordeal. Uh, so liminality is a tricky place. Uh, and what they discover is that the boys uh, are gathered there. They give him a lecture of what it means to be man and said, there's, there's a tree of meeting over there. Uh, once a month, the elders will come and meet you at the tree of meeting. Uh, we've always done this. Uh, if you're still around, uh, we'll see you then. Bye-bye. And then they abandon them in the bush. Uh, and what they discovered at first instance, the boys just scatter. Uh, two by two, one by one, they're going to try and survive this on their own. Six months in the bush. They soon discover they can't, they're not going to survive. It's not going to work. Uh, and they begin to find themselves, they begin to group uh, in, in the bush. And this is what the word he puts to it is called communitas. Communitas, uh, uh, community, what have I done here? Communitas, something like that. Tas. Okay, so communitas is the kind of community that forms in the context of an ordeal, a challenge, uh, that reconfigures the way people relate to each other. They, they, uh, they, they literally have to find each other in order to survive. They just realize that. And so they become, in this case, a band of brothers. And they literally learn to kind of operate together as a unit. Uh, and then what actually happens after the six months, they are reintroduced back into the village into the male compound, and they celebrate it now as, as young men. And uh, what is interesting, and so my, my, what I was interested in is, that, is this side of the equation here seemed to be to be normative for the kind of movements that change the world. There's something about this constant state of liminality. It doesn't always have to be death-defying, but that calls God's people into a different way of relating. That was most interest to me. Turner was interested, however, how communitas re renews the local community. So like how this experience over here actually brought renewal to the, the whole tribe. And so it was a kind of a part of the renewal cycles. What would happen is that there was like a fire. They didn't have television and all that stuff. And there was a fireplace right in the fire pit right in the middle of the, of the village over there. And what would happen is the people would gather together at night time. And uh, they would give the boys like, you know, stand up and tell your story. It's not like just five minutes in a PowerPoint, you know, as we might do with people in the short-term missions trip, but this is actually quite a significant time of storytelling. And what would happen here is that it was like around a fire pit, it's the remember when stories. I remember when in Guni, when, uh, you know, when we didn't have our spears and that leopard chased us. Oh, I remember that. We ran up the tree. And, uh, you know, uh, we didn't, you know, like, uh, that's when you lost your foot. <laughs> it wasn't, it's, uh, it's, not, it's not so funny, not so funny then, but now it's really funny now. So that, just remember when stories are really how we renew and we remember. And so it calls back to comradeship and, and connectivity. Uh, and, and so he would say this renewed the whole of society. And for me, it was um, something much more fundamental going on. In, in the liminal space, and that I was interested in how does that play? What, what does that mean for us uh, as God's people? Now, this happens all the time, by the way. Uh, you see this in natural disasters, uh, where people facing a big collective disaster, like, you know, remember the tsunami many years ago? I mean, we, 
I mean, a huge amount of people, a quarter million people died in the tsunami. And the whole world really felt something of uh, their own humanity was given back to them. There. And things like that happen all the time. September 11 was a classic example too. Sports teams. I have a theory, actually. It's just, uh, I've tested it out with a few coaches, but I think that most people play team sports, not particularly because they're interested in the exercise. I think that's part of it. But I think they do it to get the comradeship out of it, the sense of collective togetherness that is the rich experience. Because you can do exercise in the gym. So, I mean, probably better for you, you know, for whatever. Uh, I like rugby. <laughs> Definitely better for you than rugby because it'll damage you in a big way. Uh, but you can experience this at deadlines in a department when you're working, when, you know, to get a, you know, to get a kind of a contract. Otherwise, a third of us are going to lose our jobs and everyone puts in double time. That kind of sense of collective when people just do extra effort in order to do it and it bonds you together. There's something very rich in it. Every movie, uh, every story ever told has got something of this going on in it. Think of your favorite movie now, uh, or your favorite story, and you'll find this going on. So you've got a situation of normality. Something happens to create an abnormal situation. All kinds of things take place here, learnings and all adjustments. There could be, you know, CIA's after you, you've got a secret that's gonna take down the government, and uh, you know, you're on, you know, the person's on the run, you don't think they're going to make it, they're just barely ahead, and then, of course, this beautiful woman gets insinuated into the journey. Uh, and you know what? It's not about sex at this time. It's like, this is just much more about, uh, it's because there's no time for that, right? It's just much more about that comradeship thing. And then, of course, they get, they get, get the job done, take the government down, and, you know, everything go back to a new normal. And I would argue that the heroes kind of myth, the hero's journey is really structured on these kind of things. I mean, deep within our mythic structures, these ideas are there. And it's in the stories we tell that invite us to think and dream again, uh, that we dream again of adventure. That we're just not meant to outsource it only to stories. Uh, now, so much, you know, this is a, a, a seminary, so you're saying all that sociology is fine, Alan, all that anthropology, but uh, give us some Bible, right? So let's look at the Bible. Um, when you look at the Bible, you discover that, uh, well, let's just start in the Old Testament. That, I mean, you've got uh, Abraham. Abraham uh, is, you know, living in the land of Ur, and apparently they'd learned how to kind of do air conditioning by putting the air underneath the ground and it would come up in a person's house, but it was really cool, you know. So it's quite a civilized place, right? So, uh, and the Lord tells Abraham to hit the road, and it wasn't just with the nuclear family, that would be a schlep in itself, but it's now with, you know, apparently about 80 people, because, you know, they've got all the cousins with them and all that stuff. And, well, why do we know that? Because he goes to war on three occasions. So you don't go to war with a nuclear family. It's, this is extended family. It's a biblical family, right? So it's quite a big deal. It's quite a lot of planning and logistics. And, and, and where are we going to go? Well, just go, and I'm going to tell you where to go, right? So he takes what, you know, this, this step out, what I call the faith, the leap of the leap of faith. The faith that can leap. The faith that is willing to put itself out there. And in fact, you know, this journey, you know, uh, actually becomes, you know, the constituting story of what was to become Israel. The promises made to Abraham actually become the very basis of the people of God, actually, so all the people of God. So that faith that defines us, the faith that is willing to take risks, it's not necessarily cognitive knowledge, I suspect that was there, but it was primarily a willingness to trust, which is deep within our understanding of faith. Uh, and you can think about the Exodus uh, events where, you know, Israel's 
under the thumb and you know of an oppressor they're kind of in a different a strange land and God you know, does the conditions of Moses comes to lead them out into the promised land they go through the Red Sea I mean they fundamentally were not Israel prior to this point they were kind of the children of Israel they were not because the, the, the covenant hadn't been made with them as a people and uh, they go through they escape the kind of the kind of superpowers army and they go into the desert now desert places a classic liminal space. Classically, Jesus goes to pray in the desert in these 40 days of liminality there. But, but, uh, but deserts are places where things, con, you know, things happen with God. And, uh, and, and sure enough, in the desert, he, 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 uh, he encourages them, you know, you know as he covenants with them and, and, and sets them up as a people. And he warns them, lest they be, be uh, um, that they, 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 once they get into the land that the Lord of God has given them, that they, they remain faithful uh, to what the promises he'd made in the desert. So they are encouraged to maintain a memory. And of course, all Jews remember this every year in the Passover ceremony, which you call to uh, come from a Jewish family. And, you know, we were there in the desert. So you kind of like this, you, you kind of you identify in a very deep manner with, with the history of, of Israel. And you can go with David and his band. Ultimately, the one uh, in the Old Testament the really big one towards the end of the Old Testament was the, the exile. Now, Israel had been pretty unfaithful, actually, in the land, and had never really managed to get rid of its idolatry. And, uh, and so God actually, in a sense, in the end, judges them. They go into exile. They learn in Babylon what they could never have learned in Jerusalem. The liminal place teaches them things that they could never have gained by any other means. And, uh, and, and uh, when you go into the New Testament, Jesus and the Twelve, Jesus and the Forty, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, and he promises us that we're going to have persecution. There's liminality built into the very structure of discipleship. The book of Acts is like a rollicking adventure story, you know, with shipwrecks and all kinds of stuff. But certainly, Paul, you know, amazing man. You just don't want to go on vacation with him terribly much. You know? But if you want to go and have an adventure, I think Paul's probably quite cool. Uh, you know, so, uh, but, uh, and, and, you know, so it's deeply deeply scripted through the entire scriptures. And I would argue, actually, that the most important aspects, the most, the densest theology is downloaded in times of liminality and communitas is the result. The liminal condition of being out on the edge, out of the, in the uncomfortable place, precipitates an openness that, that God's people actually require to, to really fundamentally learn new ways. And I would argue that just every point of download is a liminal condition, uh, including our New Testament. It ultimately ends up with, with, uh, with uh, John on the Isle of Patmos in a very limited version, not communal, community, but he's in, the, in, a, in a prison on an island, and he has, sees the heavens opened and begins to see the meaning of events and the meaning of history is revealed to him and the meaning of his life. doesn't all have to be death-defying, by the way. I mean, so, and I would argue that this can be done in communities. In fact, it must be. As we kind of, uh, you know, churches are not known to be kind of adventuresome particularly. But, but we need to, and I would argue, uh, much is involved in this in the capacity to re-engage in a significant manner uh, by actually just sometimes crossing the street, by actually beginning in mission, which allows us, you know, to, puts us in a condition where we just don't know what we're doing, but we are brought together again. Uh, it could be, it doesn't have to be death-defying. It could be painting people's houses together. You know, doing things that change the world in little ways. And I can tell you stories of amazing ones. I'll tell you one and then I'll, I'll bring this to a close. 
One I remember being uh, when I was first came to America, uh, I went to San Diego, and in San Diego there was this kind of new church plant. It was a group of maybe 100, 120, 30 people. Uh, and uh, we talked about this, and they decided that they would do something like this. And of course, in San Diego, it's such a cool, beautiful town. And, uh, but just down 50 miles down south is Tijuana. And in Tijuana, there were people who uh, live on garbage heaps, literally. They live on the garbage heap. They scrap, they eat what they can find on it. They, they literally live on it. So they decided, uh, not on our shift. No way. Not, not while we can help it, right? And they decided as a group of people not just to send money, but that each of them in the community would take two, two weeks, either paid leave or unpaid leave, and they would go and serve the poor. They would build houses for the poor uh, instead of them living on garbage heaps. And I remember the guy telling me this after about two years of this. They got the job done. They built houses for the poor. And he said, you know, we learned so much from the poor, and you can, because they tell us a lot about ourselves. They show us things about our own poverty, right? But, um, but he said to us, you know, look, we changed, and we, we blessed the poor, and we gave them houses, but we learned more than what they learned, and we are very grateful for it. And that would be a good example of how you can simply, by, by doing things together, that kind of engage in a kind of a, an, a risky environment where you just have to put yourself out, but you do it together, can actually bring incredible renewal to the life of the community of faith. And so what I, I recommend this to you for your theology, uh, all great downloads in history come in times of liminality. I believe we're entering into a very, very liminal time now. And liminality is a place of receptivity. Discipleship is not meant to be done in classrooms. It's actually done in the context of life, in the way of Jesus, engaging in the streets and wherever he actually sent us. Leadership, as we need to kind of lead God's people in a difficult time, and not to kind of old bad habits, but actually to learn new ways to innovate. Risk-taking risk is fundamental to innovation and entrepreneurship. To churches that can kind of experiment in new forms of church, to find new ways of being God's people that are appropriate to different changing conditions and different cultural contexts, for learning generally, uh, which is about, like I said, I mentioned innovation requires risk, open-endedness, creativity, uh, courage, playfulness. All these things are necessary, and I would, so I recommend to you this idea of uh, liminality, and, but do it together so you can experience communitas as well. And so we live in a kingdom where liminality ought to be normative, uh, and the communitas ought to be more the norm than what we experience in most of our churches. Thank you very much.